Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsweatLife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen, and with me, I have Maggie Umberger and Cindy Kuzma. Morning, Gina. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. Gina, this week, you got to talk to Stephanie Izard. That was so exciting. I'm so excited she's on this podcast. What was it like to chat with her? It truly was inspiring and exciting to speak with Stephanie Izard. Honestly, at the beginning of the recording, uh, which you will get to hear a little bit of, I was really nervous because uh, I, I just truly look up to her. I find her inspiring. And not only is she a badass woman and chef, uh, she's also a celebrity chef. So she has this sort of no-nonsense presence. Uh, she's also f- kind and friendly, uh, but she also is incredibly accomplished. Um, so at first I was a little nervous and you'll, you'll hear that kind of come through, um, which is so interesting because she's, she's so approachable. But as, as we sort of talked a little bit more, um, I walked away feeling like we were very best friends. I hope she feels that way too. Yeah, I was going to ask you because on TV, she comes across as very likable. I mean, is she that way in real life? Oh my gosh, Cindy. Uh, Stephanie Izard is, well, first of all, Stephanie Izard is the chef and partner at Girl on the Goat, Little Goat, Duck Duck Goat, Bao Bang, and the Goat Group Catering. So that just is a mouthful of all of the things that she's done. Along with that, she's also won a James Beard Award. Along with that, she's also the winner of Top Chef, the first female winner of Top Chef, and also the first winner of Top Chef that also won the People's Choice Award, which is the award through which viewers vote for who they like the most. She's very likable. I told you all of that to tell you this. Not only is she super accomplished, super driven, but I I really think that people want to help her succeed around her because she truly is so likable. Outside of the podcast, I have this interesting personal story. So when Girl and the Goat opened more than eight years ago now, my mom came into town and was such a huge fan of Stephanie Izard. Uh, And so my mom asked early on if there was any way we'd be able to get into Girl and the Goat. And I could not get a reservation. I called, I did everything I could to sort of in my own way, find a reservation. Um, I ended up tweeting at Stephanie and asking if there was any way that a girl could get her mom into the restaurant. I wanted to show my mom a wonderful time and also help her have this excellent experience that she really wanted. Stephanie wrote back immediately. She DM'd me, gave me her assistant's email address, and we were connected and we got a reservation that night. Not only did we get a reservation that night, we sat at the chef's table. Stephanie came out and said hi. She gave my mom a hug. She took a selfie with my mom. It was honestly the most memorable experience I think my mom has ever had in food. And she is such a foodie. So the, the amount of care she takes to make sure that other people feel taken care of through food really came through in that experience, but also comes through in her restaurants, how she takes care of her staff and how she looks at expansion so mindfully. Well, and for anybody listening to this podcast that's not been to Chicago or hasn't been able to eat at one of her restaurants, like it is art in food. It is so delicious, so flavorful and in interesting flavors. Like she'll make desserts with vegetables and eggplant and it's just mind blowing. And you just think there's no way she can top it the next time or when she opens a new restaurant. And I'm always surprised at how 
fresh and new every concept is. And so I would love to hear from you, Gina, what, what Stephanie's look outlook is on, on goals in general, like how she goes about setting those big goals for herself. Honestly, I don't know if she's aware of this, but she sort of talks about how uh, she used inspiration to guide her from restaurant to restaurant. So she went from Girl and the Goat to Little Goat. And the reason that they opened Little Goat was because they really just wanted a nice little bakery in which they could bake their bread. But if you listen closely to sort of the trajectory and the way she talks about each restaurant and its opening and its inspiration, she dives into creativity and she dives into letting sort of that inspiration pull her into a new challenge. And she's very driven by challenge. Honestly, the way the way that she sort of speaks about her goals and her trajectory is that she sort of itches for a challenge. Uh, she jokes a little bit about how terrible the first little bit of opening a restaurant is. And any new business is hard right away. But I believe, based on this interview, that she sort of craves that creativity, that newness, that challenge. And she uses that to guide her. And I truly believe that that's why she hasn't gotten stale. If you go to Girl on the Goat, today, it's still packed <laughs> every night of the week. It's still hard to get a reservation at. And it's been open for that, that sort of testing period of a restaurant where you sort of see whether it's going to sink or swim and they are swimming. Um, not only are they swimming, they are thriving and they are expanding to new markets. You'll see Girl in the Goat in LA as well. That's great. So she's expanding her empire so even more people will get a chance to try it but home cooks can get a taste of her flavors as well right yes so she has a couple of books out uh, she has gathering grays and girl in the kitchen and gathering grays is really fun because it's stephanie's sort of way that she likes to entertain and cook at home um so home cooks can sort of experience what what a dinner party would be like with Stephanie Izard, which is awesome. And then she also has the flavor by Stephanie Izard, which is her line of, of sauces and spices, um, which are so delicious and give you a little taste of what you would get in the restaurant. Excellent. Well, let's get right to the main course of the interview then. Here is Gina with Stephanie. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. We'll start with you pronouncing your name. Everyone says your last name differently. I've started saying Stephanie Izard. Is that yeah, right? That's right. Stephanie Izard. I mean, chef and partner of Girl and the Goat, Little Goat, and Duck Duck Goat, and I guess Bao Bing and Goat Group Catering. <laughs> so all of the things. All the things. Yes. Yeah. So you just did the Chicago Triathlon, and we were talking about that a little bit. It's hard to believe that someone as busy and accomplished that you can fit that in. But tell me how that sort of played into and aided your schedule. I think that working out and going to the gym is actually what keeps me focused during the day. Today, I actually was a little under the weather, didn't go to the gym, and I know that it's going to affect my day in a way where I won't feel as good all day long. So for me, it was sort of putting that as a goal and knowing that throughout the summer, I probably had to make sure I got to the gym every day, made sure I worked in a tiny bit of running. It's not my favorite thing. I went and bought a bike and sort of made that a new part of my routine. So I think it just pushed me a little bit more and it started to make me feel much better. I was a swimmer growing up competitively and was always up at 5 a.m. going to swim practice before school, had swim practice after school. And when I stopped swimming competitively at 15 because I was upset about a time for butterfly, it's very silly. <laughs> um, my uh, 
my work performance at school started to go down a little bit and I started going out more and I just know that for me personally, it's sort of being focused on exercise and having that goal of a triathlon really helped. And it was so much fun. I think I'll just keep doing it. So as we talk about who you are, what you are, what you've started, you're incredibly accomplished as a chef, as a restaurateur, you're a top chef, you're an iron chef, you're all sorts of chefy things. Uh, so talk to me about where the love of food started and how you turned that into a career. So my mom was an amazing cook. I think that chefs either have a mom that's a terrible cook, so they have to cook to fend for themselves, or their mom's an amazing cook, and they start to cook with their mom and learn from them. My mom was a great cook. I didn't come from a family that's Italian, and so my mom cooked great Italian food or anything of a certain ethnicity. Um, I'm more of a mutt, I think, uh, with a bunch of different backgrounds. So it's more so my mom had a collection of cookbooks from all over the world, so we made mushu pork for dinner, and my mom made her own mandarin pancakes. Or I think one of my favorites was simple fondue, but we would make all these different dipping sauces for the meats. We'd have simple things too, like tuna casserole baked into a, a big biscuit, but I was able to get my hands in there and really work with the biscuit. So it was foods from all over, and my mom let me in the kitchen with her all the time. I think sometimes I just stuck my hand in the butter and ate it whole <laughs> when I was really little, she said. But I think that just influenced me. I didn't think that it was something that would be a career because I think when I graduated high school in 94, it wasn't really the same. It wasn't like, oh, you want to be a chef? How awesome. It was like, you want to be a chef? Question mark. So I went to college, went to University of Michigan, um, but never really felt a passion for anything. And then once I, I graduated, I ended up going to culinary school at my dad's suggestion. And from the minute I walked into culinary school, I was like, oh, this is what I'm excited about. I want to go to class. I like want to be here as opposed to, can I sit in the back row and take a nap? What's interesting to me about the the whole story you just told is that your family was incredibly supportive to you along the way, which could go one way or another with a career like yours. What has that support meant to you and how have they shown up for you with your restaurants? Um, you know, I think it's something that until you just said that, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I guess they have been very supportive. My dad has always been very supportive. And if you go to his house, there's pictures of me hanging up like with all of different accomplishments. And he keeps very close tabs on all of the events that I have. And he actually has records of like every um, day we've been open at all the restaurants and like looks at the financials and is very concerned with everything that's happening. It's really funny. when we, Whenever it's the girl and the goat anniversary, we text my dad and we're like, wait, what was the exact day that we opened? Because we all forget. And my dad has it on record, of course. My mom, she actually passed away just before opening Girl and the Goat, but she was able to come to my first restaurant, Scylla, that I had before that. And I think she was uh, very proud to see all of the things. And it's funny, now I still kind of give a shout out to her at Little Goat mostly. There's a lot of recipes that were hers that find their way onto the menu. We have some muffins on the summer that were zucchini muffins where I, I send my dad texts and I say, can you send me mom's zucchini bread recipe? Send you, can you send me her banana bread recipe? Can you send me her the mandarin pancakes at Duck Duck Goat was a huge thing. So my mom's recipes are seen throughout the restaurant. So I think it's a great way to celebrate that she's really why I'm here today. That's incredible. So let's, I think that's a, a good jumping off point into your big goals. So I'd love to talk about a big goal that you've accomplished, how you got there and why it was important to you. I, I knew that this is what we were going to talk about. It's so funny because I look at my life and I don't see any, I don't structure my life around one big goal and I don't set myself big goals. Um, I just kind of roll with how everything's going and always when I do something that feels like a great accomplishment. So when I opened Girl and the Goat, um, once it sort of settled and things stopped kind of being terrible every day, um, it's still hard. The restaurant industry just is hard. But once it got to a point that felt manageable, then I felt this sort of itch inside, what can I do next? So the way that it works for me is instead of setting 
um, like these big goals or any accomplishments. I don't look back and say, oh, well, I had that mission of opening a restaurant. And I did it. I just sort of one day was like, I think I want to open a restaurant. And then I just did it. Um, so that's just the way that I work, which I think is very different than other people. So when there's uh, discussions about goals and mentors and things that are very much more tangible for other people, um, for me, I have mentors from all over. For me, I have like these random goals. I think my, you know, the biggest thing is for me is to let my sort of natural drive from being very competitive from all of my swimming and all of my sort of the sportier side of myself, always feeling challenged and sort of feeling proud of everything that I'm doing each day. So yeah, it's funny. I don't, I look back and yes, I mean, opening Girl and the Goat was amazing. Opening my first restaurant, Scylla, which was when I was 30, I think was even uh, no, I was 27 when I opened. What am I saying? I was at work one day. Call your dad. Yeah, call my dad. He'll know exactly what day we opened. I was uh, working at a little restaurant, Latash, up north um, that was there. And I was a sous chef. It was my first sous chef job. One of the cooks was like, you're really good at this. So you should just open your own restaurant. And I was like, oh, okay. So the next week I quit my job. I It took me like almost a year to the exact day to get my first restaurant open. Um, I just started like asking all my friends like, hey, I think I'm going to open a restaurant. Can you help me write a business plan? Um, then I took that to a bank, and I was like, hi, I want to get a loan, but I really have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help me? And I was fortunate enough to find a woman who was very nice to help me. So that I, say, I would say looking back, like opening that first restaurant really kind of set the tone. It's what If I hadn't opened that, I wouldn't have been visible to have Top Chef come find me. Um, then I wouldn't have won Top Chef. Then I wouldn't have Girl in the Goat. So I think um, having sort of the strange, like, idea just one day be like I think I'll just open my own restaurant I think that's kind of what set the tone for everything else it's crazy because it almost sounds like you are excited by challenge and when your life lacks challenge you're not as excited so you're almost seeking that out so what what kind of challenge drove you to go from girl in the goat to opening little goat diner across the street we were, um, I was actually downstairs, not far from where we're sitting right now, um, in the kitchen working on my station. And we, we always baked all of our own breads at Girl and the Goat, but we used to bake them in Girl and the Goat. And so there's bakers in the kitchen, there's the butchers, there's all the prep cooks. It was very crowded and there's like flour everywhere. I was like, we really need to get the bakers out of here. We should open a tiny little restaurant somewhere in the neighborhood. This is back when the West Loop wasn't as full as it is right now. I thought we could find a little space, have a bakery there, have like 12 seats. It'd be really cute called Little Goat. Um, and then we could get the bread bakers out of there. And when we ended up finding a space, it was ginormous. Little Goat Diner is huge. Um, so we ended up opening like the supersized goat, not the little goat. But we still had our <laughs> bread bakers come out of there. Um, yeah, that was one of the, it seemed like a great idea at the time. Opening Little Goat was, I would say, more of a challenge than I wish upon myself. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I keep coming back to that again. I think restaurateurs these days, um, really, not that we want the painfulness of like having a hard day, but once things are kind of settled, you're like, okay, what can I do next? What can I do next? I want to make sure that this stays exciting and like that we feel very challenged. That's just the entrepreneurial spirit in general too, because you don't want to settle into a routine, which is why you did this. It's more risky, but these challenges offer you that great big reward as well. And now a lot of female chefs are looking, and male chefs, but a lot of chefs in general are looking to you as inspiration. So can you talk about how you've heard from female chefs that you've inspired them or helped them to be more? Sure. I get emails from young cooks or people trying to get in the industry very often. There's actually a woman that works here, Mary. She just went on a trip to Thailand, which is awesome, but she'll be back soon. She was in culinary school, um, a little bit older, so she was taking it very seriously, like knowing like this. She's like, I don't want to just be a cook. How can I get to the next point? 
and almost like I can see the ambition in her that she, I, you know, you have to slow your roll a little bit. You have to like work through some stations and learn the generals of kitchens. But when you find um, seeing young women with those, that drive that I probably had in myself that other people saw that I probably didn't even think about, I know that they're going to really push themselves to be be more and that they don't want to just settle for the day-to-day. So yeah, we just have amazing women in our kitchens and I've tried to be in communication with other people that reach out and it's it always catches me off guard I'm like oh right oh yes oh yeah I'm supposed I'm supposed to be inspiring okay all right (laughs) Um, where I'm just trying to keep like some days I feel like I'm just trying to like keep my head screwed on tight you know so I think it's it's great that I can help other people feel like they can do whatever they sort of want to do and hopefully the fact that I I don't think everybody should just go out and just one day be like I think I'll just open a restaurant tomorrow because I think I was really fortunate the way that it all panned out but I think you know in encouraging people to just kind of go for it instead of just continuing to like have these dreams like just make them happen and going back to little goat diner you went on to open duck duck goat after that which I love I especially love the window on the side of it Uh, can you talk about how you went from little goat into duck duck goat I, when we opened Little Go, I said to myself that I would just never open it. I was like, don't let me ever open another restaurant again. And then there I was like a couple years later with that whole thing happening again, where something sparked an idea in my head. We did a dinner at Little Goat upstairs. We have a private dining room, kind of like this, but much more sort of feminine and pretty. And we have a lot of baby showers and weddings up there, but we did a private dinner up there for folks that could come in and we pick a country and just do a menu from there. Um, and my procrastinating self would wake up in the morning and be like, oh yeah, we're doing that Chinese dinner tonight. Let me go do a little research and we'll put together a menu. Um, I just work better under pressure. But when we did the Chinese menu, we did a lot of Americanized Chinese food and we tried to dabble in some, you know, true Chinese fare. But it really just sparked my interest in Chinese food in general. And I took some home to my husband and he and I were eating the leftovers as you do with Chinese food. And we were like, oh, this is really tasty. Maybe you should just open a Chinese restaurant. So I brought that idea to my partners thinking that they would be like, you know, no, that's silly. But they were like, wow, that's a fun idea. So we went on a couple trips to China. Not that you can see the whole country in a couple of trips. We went to China, went to a bunch of different cities and we went to Taiwan, learned a little bit, came back and did a lot of research. And then DuckDuckGoat was open when I was seven months pregnant. So that was fun. Totally regular, totally normal thing to do, Um, especially when you're as driven as you. And throughout all of this, you've done the crazy other part of your life, which is books. So you have two books now, correct? Um, Talk me through how the books came out and how they played into your restaurants or played off of your restaurant. Um, The first book I actually wrote before we opened Girl and the Goat. So that one was got off of Top Chef, felt like, okay, now I'm a Top Chef. What am I supposed to be doing? I should be writing a book. Um, So that one's fun. It's very uh, story driven. You can really read about my whole childhood and a lot of the stuff I was just talking about and a lot about my mom. And um, it's all recipes of things I did leading up to opening Girl and the Goat. Some of the recipes actually made it onto the menu in roundabout ways, like different sauces and dressings and such. And then... This book was like, all right, now Girl and the Goat's been open for eight years, and I have this cookbook that's very outdated. I want to get some of my favorite recipes from the restaurants, but things that we use more at home and things that we entertain. When I'm cooking at home, and I would say cooking in like quotations because I'll come into the restaurants and sort of shop, and I'll pick different sauces that we use um, or different vinaigrettes, and I'll kind of mix and match those at home on meats and throw them on my grill, and that's kind of my nice, easy, quick home entertaining. I cheat. Um, <laughs> But it's fun to see how you can take a lot of the recipes from the restaurants and not necessarily put together these plated 
dishes like we do here, but more so just use those flavors to make home cooking, you know, sort of elevated and really have all those flavors. So yeah, that's where Gather and Graze came from. I think, you know, you gather with your friends, you just put out a bunch of food and you graze and it's meant to be fun. Home entertaining shouldn't be super stressful. Through all of this as well, you obviously can't be three places at once and soon to be four places at once. So how have you sort of learned to delegate and find the right people to help you through all of these restaurants? Uh, It's something that I still struggle with on a day-to-day basis. I have amazing people around me, but you always are like, I wish I had one more. I wish I could take, there's certain people on my staff that if I could have two or three of them, then life would be so much easier. And it's, you know, sometimes it's better to have multiples of them instead of me because I have some people now that are, you know, some, my head butcher here at Girl and Go, Andrea, she's so talented and she could probably, you know, do a lot of the butcher stuff exponentially better than me. So if I could have a few of her, that would be great. Um, I have a woman, Nikki, that works with me. I call her my sous chef of life. She just like kind of helps me with events, helps me with cookbook testing, helps me. She's off doing some caterings today. Um if I could have multiples of her because she gets my palate very well. So it's important to surround yourself with hardworking people that, oh, they must be doing construction upstairs today. Um, <laughs> and today, they are drilling. Yes. Actually, Girl in the Goat's been, it's something, somebody said to me once, so when you hit 38, that your body starts to fall apart, which I feel like I've, I had like, since I hit 38, I've had like my first two surgeries of my entire life. It's kind of funny. I was like, you're right. So it must be that girl and the goat, since we turned eight, now it's like we had to get all of these things replaced and everything. Keeps, every day we come in and there's like a new challenge. We're like, all right, well, this building, you know, maybe it's something of that. It's in goat years. It's almost 38 years old or something. But yeah, I've surrounded myself with amazing people that have a similar drive and passion. And the thing is, food is very personal and nobody can ever taste something the exact same way as I do. So Yes, when I go to L.A. to open Girl and the Goat in L.A., I'm going to come back after being gone for like a month at a time, which is the longest I've ever been away. And my staff, things aren't going to be exactly as I need to like find a way to accept that a tiny bit different is okay, and we'll just try to work towards making it as perfect as possible. Um, Yeah, I feel like I'm having a therapy session right now on how this is going to work. That's what I'm here for. This is actually called We Got Goals Therapy Podcast. Uh, So hearing all of that, you've done so much. You've won awards. You're in a hall of fame, which is totally normal. And it sounds like you did all of this without one tangible goal, really just vision to find a challenge every day. If you could summarize kind of what the vision is that gets you out of bed every day, what would that be? I think, um, you know, looking at the future, there is no, again, there is no one goal because I see myself doing many things. So my husband said to me um, a couple years ago, he's like, why don't you just have like, you need like three majors each year because you spread yourself too thin and you do all this. And looking at this upcoming year, there's much more going on than three main things. But I think honestly, like my end goal is, you know, retirement and not in a way of saying like, I want to just go lay on a beach and be lazy. It's sort of how do I structure growth within the restaurants, growth of the goat brand to a point where at some point I can just be like, that was fun. I'm going to go hang out with my kid now and go travel the world. So it's kind of, I have, so I want to do everything as best as possible. So I have a sauce and spice line that we are in the midst of revamping the packaging and trying to turn into more of a big national brand. I look at that as like, if that does really well, then maybe that can be my retirement plan. The restaurants, each time I open a new one, I kind of reset like, okay, well, that needs to be open for this many years. So we'll push back retirement. So eventually my retirement's going to end up being much older than my original plan of 45, which is not going to happen. I'm going to be 42 in a couple weeks. Um, But I, you know, it's kind of looking at trying to structure everything to just be the best that I can and continue to do cool things. And with that end goal of knowing that eventually, you know, just going to want to lay down on the beach and enjoy. 
and take a break. <laughs> you talked a little bit about how you got past the point of everything feeling terrible. Can you talk me through what, what terrible felt like in those first couple of years? I mean, every restaurant, it's like this really fun adrenaline rush in the beginning. So, and I'm sure with any sort of business when you're getting it started, it's like figuring out how you're gonna set up the restaurant, figuring out what plates you're gonna use, like hiring new people, training, all of that stuff is really fun and challenging in this amazing way. And you have like all this adrenaline, you're awake like 24 hours a day just kind of thinking about it. And then once the restaurant or like a business gets going, then it's just, you're dealing with every day like trying to fix what's going wrong and figure out how you could have done that better. and. Um, you're always short-staffed in the beginning and things aren't working as you visioned um, or guests aren't reacting the way that you wanted them to. So the beginning's just hard in that sense. It's, uh, it's never going to be smooth in the beginning. I don't think it's, I think that's true for, I would assume for every business. I've never worked in any others, but in the restaurant industry, the first year I would say is a struggle in that you're still trying to figure it out and how we can, you go to your first P&L meeting and you're like, oh, well, that's terrible. Um, and usually my partner is like, they're like, first month, we just pretend it didn't happen. Um, but after that, then it's time to crack down and like figure out how we can make this a successful business. Um, it's not just about putting out great food and having great service. At the end of the day, you need to be able to like sustain and pay bills and hopefully have like a tiny profit. Um, that's what the restaurant industry is all about. If we could have a tiny profit, that would be great. Duck, Duck Goat is now um, about two years old. I always think my son is two, so the restaurant's two, so there we go. And we finally, like, we go to P&L meetings, profit and loss meetings, and they're positive. Like, there's good things happening. We've gotten things figured out. And though there's the constant day-to-day -day struggles, like, it's sustaining in a way where if I leave for a few days, I know that, like, everything will be okay, which that's good. That's a good feeling. And probably a new one for you, too. So as you go to open uh, Girl in the Goat LA, um, you will be opening with a different sort of menu that's more regionally and locally sourced there. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I think when I was talking about opening a Girl in the Goat in another city, in my mind, I was like, oh, this is easy. We'll just pick up Girl in the Goat and put it in another city, and there we go. When I started to think about it more, I'm like, wait a minute. There's some things on the menu at Girl in the Goat here in Chicago that are so iconic, but they don't fit elsewhere, like our pig face. So this is a dish that's been on the menu for over eight years. Um, it's one of our top-selling dishes every night. And, but it, the whole thing came from a local farmer that happened to have that part of the pig that was left from his other sales every week. So we were doing something sustainable by using that part of the pig. So it just made sense. There's a story. Why do we have this on the menu? It doesn't make sense to go to California and try to create a story like that. So um, my job now is to get out there and meet with farmers and find what our stories are going to be there. You know, what farmers have these amazing products that we can be using. And then you look at the produce, and I mean... I'm going to be like a kid in a candy store. They have strawberries and stuff in January. The growing season here is crazy short. And so we end up using stuff from outside of Chicago all the time because our guests don't want to just eat potatoes and apples like for the entire winter season. So we end up having to find things from California, basically. But it's funny. When I was talking to a chef friend there, I was like, so do you use just all local farms? And she's like, it is all local. <laughs> like everything you order from no matter where came from right there. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. That's great. And you're incredibly collaborative with other chefs. I've been to a dinner, for example, on the rooftop of Little Goat where you collaborated with Mark Forgione and it was incredible. And I ate an eyeball. I ate an eyeball too. Oh, were you the other eyeball eater? I was the other oh, eyeball. Yes. Yeah, nice. So as you look at collaborating with other chefs, what sort of makes a good collaboration? 
for me, it's finding chefs that kind of have a similar approach where they're like pretty chill and laid back, but they still want to put out great food, which I feel like I've surrounded by, I have amazing chef friends all over, but, um, and we just did our Harvest Fest a couple of weeks ago where we flew in a bunch of different, Mark Forgione did it two years ago. We had Kristen Kish was here, Brooke Williamson, um, Jamie Bissonette, Chris Cosentino did it last year, he had a conflict, but all of these chefs who, they're fun, they take food seriously, but have fun at the same time, and they aren't pretentious in any way, shape, or form. So I think it's just making sure that you're um, either friends with that chef or that you, it's a, also a fun way to like make a new chef friend by collaborating on something for the first time when events sometimes put you together with someone you've not met before. And at first it's like, who's this guy? And then by the time you do a dinner together and you've been talking about food all day and learning from each other and um, just having fun in the kitchen, then you made another new chef friend, which is always great. Friends are important to us at A Sweat Life, and it sounds like to you as well, but also owning a restaurant as well as being an entrepreneur can be lonely. Can you reflect on that, or how have you combated that? It is really lonely. I was actually, just before we started talking, I was in a meeting with my director of operations because we've kind of lost, we used to have a weekly meeting, and we've kind of just been really busy the last few weeks and not been touching base on making sure that we're still like hitting the same goals and that we're working on the same things. Um, so that I feel a little less alone. Working on this Goat LA project, one of my chefs actually is just going to be moving here in a couple months, so he hasn't been here for the design meetings, and so I'm making all these decisions on this kitchen for this beautiful new restaurant, and I'm like, "Um, I think that we could put a stove there, (laughs) question mark. So I think a lot of the times when you're the one that's supposed to make all of the decisions and you don't have someone above you to ask for advice, it does become really lonely. I forget sometimes that I'm supposed to be the one managing, like, all, I have over 300 employees. And it's more, you know, managing through other managers most of the time. But I like to have a little more personal touch. So I definitely, you know, I'm talking to people from all different positions on different things. No matter what level of, like, other people you surround yourself with, at the end of the day, if you are the owner, you're always going to take it in a different way than they are, a little bit more personally. It's impossible for myself to feel the same as somebody on my staff about the fact that like this floor definitely needs to get redone does do other people care about that as much as me probably not it doesn't kind of affect them maybe as personally so I think it always feels a little lonely in that way but I think for me I need to constantly be talking to sort of my other managers and really trying to bounce ideas off them to try to feel a little less lonely in those decision makings but it's hard I think it's impossible to not have that feeling that sense of being alone a little bit And that's where it kind of comes down to having those collaborators, those people who understand where you are, which is why I think it's so amazing that you pull those people in as well. Yeah, I actually, I was um, chatting with uh, Alex Gernicelli one day and, you know, she's very just out there, like very big personality, so much going on. But she said something to me that along those lines, she was like, who are you friends with? Like, who do you talk to about this stuff? What other woman do you know that owns a bunch of restaurants and does all this stuff? And and I was like, no one, I don't. But it was a reminder. And I think just seeing, I actually, Brooke Williamson from Top Chef, she lives in California, but she has like a similar number of restaurants and she has a child. And like, we were talking and I was like, we need to talk more. Like, this is so, it just felt good to, whether I, you know, took anything super tangible away from the conversation, but I feel like I would want to dive in and try to learn more from her. Just having someone else talk about the same sort of you know, struggles that I have made me just feel kind of more normal. To feel that other people are in the same boat as you are, I think is a good feeling. I think it's important to talk about the loneliness too. I, I think a lot of people see entrepreneurship, restaurant 
tourship as sexy, but it is super lonely and hard. <laughs> yeah, I think chefness in general, especially with all that goes on on TV now, is seen as a much this cool, sexy, like, you know, oh, look at their life. How awesome. And, you know, I'm not complaining. I do. I'm very fortunate um, in, in many different ways. But I do work very hard for that, you know, for everything that I have. And every day when we, my husband and I, like, park the car, I think to myself, okay, today I'm going to be positive. Today I'm going to do little things to feel like I had a good day. I have to have, I set myself goals to at each restaurant each day have, like, one good positive thing that I do for that restaurant. So, say yesterday I was working on new dishes for Girl and the Goat. I was like, all right, I got, like, a new dish figured out. Feel, check that off. Girl and the Goat, at least I did one good thing at Duck, duck, goat, we um, are putting on a new soup for the fall that we brought back. And a manager said to me, he's like, oh, I've been waiting for that new soup to come back. I'm so excited. And I was like, I'll take that as a positive for the day. Check that off. So it's even if I can have one little thing at each restaurant each day, I can go home and like go to sleep thinking, okay, it was a better day. You know, there was more positive than negative today. Check it off as a good day. I'm smiling through this answer because it's so similar to what Sheryl Sandberg talks about in her option B book, um, Contribution List. She uses that to feel like connected and like she's contributing to the world at large. I do it too because otherwise I feel insane and like I'm just answering emails all day. So as we sort of wrap up our time together, which is sad because we're best friends now, you don't, you just don't know it. Sounds like your big goal for the future is to retire, um, to do the work you need to do to retire. Would you append anything to that? Like I said, it's just too many different goals. So we'll open LA and I'll see if I want to open more restaurants, even though right now I would say that'll be the last one, but you know that I'm probably lying. I'll say that I, you know, the sauce and spice line, I want to get that to be bigger. I want to write another book. I um, have this always talk about doing some cool little bed and breakfast thing on a little island. And I, there's so many different things that I want to do. And I think it's hard to look at them as something to just work towards that because I have so many other things kind of happening at the same time. So I'm just going to continue on my little roller coaster of work life and life in general. Um, I mean, biggest goal is to raise a son who's amazing. So far, he seems really happy and great. So I'm just going to keep got to be the most important thing to me right now. And I think him growing up in the restaurant world has him surrounded by so many different things and so many different people that he hopefully will just grow up a (laughs) well-adjusted individual. Or it could just turn him into like, oh my gosh, get me away from the restaurant industry, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) I'll ask you one last question, which is not related to goals at all. Considering that you just did the Chicago triathlon, what is your favorite post-workout snack? Ooh, that's tricky. I I mean, I usually just open a big old box of big Cheez-Its. Um, which I shouldn't do. I mean, on my healthier days, an RX bar. Mm-hmm. I do really love RX bars. But when I just feel like having something like you need that salty fix. Although after the triathlon, I actually went to Duck Duck Goat. And I had a Mezcal cocktail and a couple of dumplings. And I was like, woo, that was perfect. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Stephanie Izard. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. And this was We Got Goals. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not. Hey, goal getters, it's Cindy Kuzma here. Just popping back in to let you know that we are about to hear a goal from one of you, our listeners. If you would like to share one of your goals on a future episode, all you have to do is record a voice memo. Tell us about a goal that you accomplished in the past and how you got there, a goal you have for the future and how you're planning to get there, or your best goal getting tip. Email it to me at cindy at com, and you could be featured on an upcoming episode of We Got Goals. Now, here is one of your goals. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. 
My name is Marie Rowland and I am from the west side of Chicago. A big goal that I have very recently achieved is making a big career transition. I've been in the traditional healthcare field for about seven years and have been wanting to make the jump into health and wellness uh, for a while now and have been going back and forth just thinking about it, talking about it and finally made the jump and I could not be more excited. I'm actually going to be working with A Sweat Life uh, part-time to start doing business development, so helping out with some of the brand sponsorships and then also helping out with some events and the Sweat Working app, uh, bringing on new gyms and studios. And I'm also working with RX Bar part-time, helping with their field marketing strategy. So, yeah, it's been a goal of mine for a long time to make that transition, and I was always really afraid to do it. I had, you know, a pretty stable job, um, and so I finally made the jump, and I could not be more happy and excited and can't wait to get started. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. This podcast is a SweatLife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including on Spotify. If you could leave us a rating or a review while you're there, we'd be so grateful. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guest this week, Stephanie Izard, to Tech Nexus for the recording studio, Kathy Lai for editing. And of course, thanks most of all to you, our listeners.